Very good. Okay, well, a special greeting to uh, my friend David and his family and the other people in Canada who are listening to us discuss the portion uh, every time we come together. And to the folks that are in uh, Denver, the folks that are in Texas, the folks that are um, in Trinidad and Tobago, and I'm not really sure which one it is, but they always have one woman in the Miss America pageant or universe pageant that represents both, so I guess it doesn't matter which island it is. Um, and um, where is uh, Miss... Where is... Uh, the yeah, autumn. In Where's autumn? Curacao. So we got people listening to Curacao. And uh, maybe really even foreign countries like New York. You know, you never know. Um, so before, yeah. <laughs> in God's country, right. Sorry. Um, so I, I do want to welcome them and say hello and to everybody that's here. God bless you. This is the, uh, I think, the eighth reading of the, uh, of the year. Uh, before we get started, though, it's my understanding that I missed an opportunity to sing Happy Birthday to Jenny. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jenny. Happy birthday to Thank you to Ken for opening his home on Arab Shabbat. Outstanding. I hereby join myself to the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, the Righteous One, who is the bread of life and the true light, the source of eternal salvation for all those who hear Him. Like a branch that remains in a vine, so may we remain in Him, just as He also remains in the Father and the Father in Him, in order that they may remain in us. May the grace of the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abound to us, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay. Parashat Vaishlach. What is a shalach or a or shalachim? Sent one. Sent one. So what does Parashat Vaishlach mean? And he said. So, uh, we will uh, go through uh, Aliyah by Aliyah, and I would encourage you, as you have uh, comments to make, points to bear uh, in each one, that you'll uh, try and focus first on seeing Messiah on each page, and then some of the other cool stuff. And of course, we want to make sure we get as much mysticism in there as we can, just to keep everybody on their toes, right? Okay. So, first question. Why does it say he sent, in my Bible says, Yaakov sent angels ahead of him to his brother Esav? Because the actual Hebrew word for angels and messengers is the same. What is that word? Shalak is sent one, but Malachim. Malachim, right? The actual reason behind it, according to Rafi, not Rashi, is because of the previous parasha. Right. It ends with angels. Angels. Angels interaction with angels. Yes. So Rashi's reasoning was okay, we just got done talking about angels. In order 
order for the two parshas to match and kind of flow continuously, these must be angels he sent me. Exactly. So we've got uh, angels potentially here. Um, personally, I find it hard to believe that Jacob actually can send angels. That would be kind of weird, but kind of puts him on a pedestal above most men. Um, but sure, we saw and know for certain that the messengers going up and down on that ladder last week were not just your average concert B-flat messengers. They definitely were angels. Okay, so in our first Aliyah, we've got, uh, we've got the messengers or the angels in verse 7 coming back. Little scouts sent out. They return in military fashion. We came to your brother... The Gudnik adds, uh, but he's still behaving like the wicked Asav. He's also heading toward you, and 400 men are with him, carrying bows and little presents and gifts. No, it doesn't say that. There are 400 men on horseback or whatever heading towards Jacob. So what's the, uh, what's the concept? What are we thinking happened here in his mind? Army. Army. Coming to kill him. Yeah, it's going to be unpleasant. So, what's he do? He makes a military move. He makes a military move. So, what's his military move? Divide, divide the camp. Divide the camp. How many camps? Two. Two. Two camps. And his thinking, if he takes out one, the other one will get through. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. It's interesting because the end of last week's portion says that he, you know, as he he, he left um, uh, Padam Aram and he's, he's making his way back towards uh, Canaan and uh, he arrives at a camp and it's in, in the name of the camp is Manahaim, which means two camps. You know, and then we pick that thought up in this portion, two camps. Where he takes his family and he divides the camp. And why does he divide the camp? It says he divides them so that his thinking is if Esau's coming with 400 men, 400, and he, he's coming presumably to do me harm, so, uh, so I'm going to divide the camp, I'm going to divide my family so that if he kills one, the other will will escape and survive. Why? Because he recognizes that he's got to preserve the family life. Exactly. God just told him, you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. You know, and he's starting to catch on to this this you know this promise that he's inherited from his grandfather and father. So he makes a military move to divide the families, thinking that all right, if I lose part of the family continue through the other. Now, when I find this interesting because there's a there's a concept in, in that the sages talk about that what happens to the forefathers happens to the children, you know, or happen. So another way, what happens? Patriarchs happens is a is a picture of what will happen. Or a foreshadow, a foreshadowing of what will happen to their descendants. So, where else then do we see the family getting divided? Mm-hmm. We see the family getting divided after the death of Shlomo. Mm-hmm. 
and we get a division between between you know, what becomes the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And what happens in history to the northern kingdom? They are attacked and conquered, and but yet, and we, you know, there's lots of controversy over what happened and where are they and all that kind of stuff, right? And that's not really where I'm going. But the point is this: kind of, I can't help thinking that we have sort of a foreshadow here of a division. You know, Jacob intentionally divides the family to ensure preservation. And then maybe, I'm not saying it is, but maybe when we get to the division of the kingdoms and we see the northern kingdom ends up actually, for all intents and purposes, you know, kind of being conquered by the Assyrians and disappearing, yet Judah continues and maintains their identity and maintains the lineage and so, so forth and so on. Is there kind of a, yeah. a parallel? Yeah, that'll preach. I mean, you could work that for hours. If you think of uh, Solomon being the one right before the split, the two camps, um, then you would see Jacob as the one right before the split, right? Um, the one right before Solomon was David. The one right before Jacob is Isaac. Two excellent pictures of Messiah. I like that. Three things that... Uh, Jacob did. He prepared three deals emotionally. One, what, what was he going to do for, for Esau? Well, gifts. gifts, right? And then second, he does this um, this deal here with the with the camps and uh, the separation, and uh, and then he's also preparing for war, right? So we've got. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and the prayer. And actually, I, I've got gift, war, and prayer as the three that the sages in my commentary noticed. So um, he's, he's actually taking every possible route. The Torah demands that if you're about to go to war, you try and bring peace first. But he's got the gift. He's preparing for war because we, we need to be prepared. And we know that we're going to battle against this world for sure especially if uh, Asav represents that and then third he prays good yes ma'am I think it's just need to realize he didn't only pray yeah because it seems like sometimes that's people's response to problems is I'm just going to sit here and pray about it mm-hmm. and God will take care of whatever's out there but there's a lot of preparations going on there there is active. there is and I think it's a good thing that we should learn mm-hmm. yeah he does um you know, I, I wish I could say he prayed first and then took care of the other things, but even then, he seems to be very practical. Mm-hmm. He's commanded. He knows he's got to do peace first, see if the gift is going to do it. If not, we got the whole setup for war with the camps and the whole thing, and now I get that set, time to pray. Our father, Jacob, uh, we saw in the previous couple portions where we see his uh, extraordinary wisdom in how he how he is blessed by God, but he's blessed with wisdom in order to increase his flock, um, his his family, all of those things. And then at the end of last week's portion, we have this odd thing where it says angels appear to him. Well, first of all, you know, we talk about him wrestling with with an angel. And now here we, in the previous portion, we hear him, angels appear as he comes back into the land. And then at the beginning of this next portion, not not to pick on you here, but I think that 
there's there's something remarkably supernatural going on, so it's probably not too far-fetched to say he sent angels. Because the angels show up in the previous portion, and there's something very significant about these two portions as they come together. Yeah. This event is is a and his careful strategy as he walks through these first through first through Aliot here are is is it, make, it, it just reinforces the idea this is not the same Jacob that left. Mm-hmm. Good point. There's something really uh, significant about his return to Israel and to the land. Yeah, and the sages point out the. Uh, escorted by angels on his way until he got to the edge of the land, if you will, and then, and then him up when, he comes, when he comes back in. Very, very interesting. And don't you love recognizing, not believing, not thinking about, but recognizing that we may be in the in the company of angels right now, mm-hmm. and you just can't see. Mm-hmm. That's cool. If he needs to sit there, let him. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, left to see. I want to with that thought. Uh, I liked what um, one of the, uh, the rabbis, Levush Ora, said. Yaakov sent Esau actual angels intimidate him. Esau would wonder, is my brother so powerful that he has a host of angels under his control? Surely, I will not be able to overcome. So I thought that was kind of cool because then it kind of contributes to the fact that at least based on the assumptions they make within the son of the commentary and the way they put the words in the parentheses and add some extra text in there, it looks like it says, um, I'll show you. we came to your brother, and then parentheses, but he's still behaving like the wicked, parentheses, to Esau. Right. The point being that he's coming to kill Jacob and take out everything he has, and there's a change at some point in there. Yeah. And so that... The, the idea that he's the angels that are, are supposed to intimidate Esau kind of helps support that. To sure. And, and I think it's important that we recognize again, if you think it's odd that there's angels involved, if you wanted to write this in Hebrew and make it angels, this is how you would write it. It, it works either way. There's no way to change it. But to, to bounce off that, though, the contrast is generally when this is read without it being angels, it's Jacob is, is a weak man. He's like he's he's bowing. He's scraping to Esau. He's like, I'll give you these gifts. Please don't hurt me. And I'll divide my camp. And even people, I've heard people criticize him. It's like, well, he's willing to sacrifice half his family, you know. And and if you consider this, his first messenger sent with gifts are angels, you know, that's remarkably different. Now it's like you can have it easy or you can have it hard, right? I like that. Here's the easy part. I'm willing to be your friend. That's good. Yeah. Does, does everybody know what angels look like? I mean, we're not, you know, it's not the Charmin commercial. It's not the white, fluffy, you know. Strong guys. You know, it's, you know, they're, they're warriors. Military warriors. That's right. Making babies. They are armless. Little buttocks hanging out there. Flutter, flutter is not the word that should go there. Yeah. And further, example of an angel. Can't hear you. Say it. Good example of an angel be the one that appears to Joshua. That's what yes. I was going to say. Joshua yeah. chapter five. That's right. Continue to bounce off my father with like. This is great. It's a little tag team match going. Another it? thing that um, <laughs> I found was interesting is um, when he divides the camp. You can look at his perspective of oh, you know, if they kill one, then the other can escape. But the rabbis take a little bit of a different approach. Some of the rabbis. One of the commentary mentions, I don't know exactly where it is, one of the commentary mentions 
um, why does he divide the camp? And it's like, oh, it's because if one goes and gets attacked, the other can sneak up and kill all of Jacob, uh, all of Esau's people. <laughs> yeah, military. It's, this is a military thing. Yeah. That's why I, I which, can understand. Which Joshua that, used. Yeah, exactly. Later on. So I can understand to an extent. And this is part of the beauty of the Torah that this is a little bit ambiguous. You can't see it multiple ways. I, I kind of like that sometimes, but I think to an extent it makes more sense if there's been such a change in Jacob that he's more of a military and a stronger man now. That makes more sense. That to me is more consistent with his character. And if he's already been interacting with angels, this is not something that is different. That I think in this situation he comes to Esau and he definitely is. You know, humbling himself, but at the same time, he's making it clear: you will not overcome me. But it's it's not really out of fear; it's actually hum, humble, humble in strength. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to remember the prophet's name. Is it Elijah? That the the host of angels around and 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 they they fled. The other people fled. What was it? I'm, was yeah. yeah, but I mean, could it? It would have probably been the same then as it was for Elijah. You know, you would be afraid. I would think God would give you fear. Elijah and Gehazi was another. Open his eyes that he can see what I can see. Yeah. yeah. But if I remember correctly, they end up blinding the uh, the enemy soldiers, and then Elijah leads them like into the courtroom of the king. Yeah, or right into the you know the the camp there. Just oh my goodness, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Did you? Some of the some of the rabbis say that um, that it says Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and so the rabbis say that's basically the same thing. I mean, why did we have to repeat the word? And they say, well, he was um, he was greatly afraid because he was afraid that Esau was going to kill him. I mean, that's that's. I would this, be that afraid. And the rabbis say, this is where we get the fact that even righteous people shouldn't assume that God is going to act on their behalf. So there was that's why he was afraid. But he was distressed because Jacob was a very peaceful man. And although he may come back much stronger, he's still very peaceful, and he doesn't. He was distressed because he thought he might have to kill Esau, so he didn't want to have to do that. But that um, the idea of being um, afraid and then distressed about kind of the same thing, killing, um, reminded me of the class Mr. Nunez did on both loving God but also fearing right. Him. Good. You can't have the one without the other. You can be afraid of being killed, but then you, you, he's he's also he's a righteous man, so he doesn't want to have to kill. And, um, but it, it reminds me of having a fear of God, but also a love for him to Good. act. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Yes, sir. It's mystical, but it's also about Messiah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything mystical is about Messiah. Okay. <laughs> so there's, there's two sets of camps uh, in last week's portion. He divides them into two camps, Machanaim, and then uh, two comings of Messiah as well. Right. First, Good. So that the first camp name, then the last verse of that, uh, the last word of last week's uh, parasha um, is Machanaim, uh, uh, as opposed to in this this week's chapter thirty-two eight. It says uh, that then Jacob became very frightened and he and distressed, and so he divided the people with him, the flocks, cattle, camels into two camps, and it's just Vishne uh, Machanot. So what same word, but why why different endings? And the only thing that changes is a a yud and, or uh, and, and the vav. And the first one has the Yud, the second one has the Vav. So the first coming of Messiah, um, his hands, because that's what the Yud is, his, his hands are pierced. 
and uh, and and what does the centurion say? Surely this is the son of God. God. Just like and this is a godly camp, which is which is the the first set of camps. Second camp is now now it's a the vav is like a a, 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 a tense peg or a stake used in the in the tabernacle, and that's what we're waiting for is for the tabernacle to come back. And that stake is also used as a weapon. Right, and that's what God comes back with, essentially. So it's it's a. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, they need. Yeah, they need. Yeah. Very cool. That's good. That is good. Yes, sir. Chapter thirty-two, verse eleven. Deliver me to rescue. He's crying out for verse twenty. He says. I will appease him. Mm. And then in verse 28, we have bear with me. 30. I'll appease his anger, right? Yeah. Verse 30, we have I've seen God face to face. <coughs> now Paul picks up on the word appease, same word as Septuagint, Alisterion, which means propitiate, right here. He uses it in Romans 3.25 to describe what Yeshua accomplished on the cross. He turned away appeased. Appeasing the wrath of God. Yeah. So you have deliverance through appeasement by means of which you see God. That is the gospel. I like it. Amen. Hallelujah. That was very <laughs> mystical, by the way. <laughs> very good. That was great. That was great. That was great. That's good. I love it. I love it. All right. So... <coughs> no, yes, sir. Oh, please. Um, I was reading here. He says, I have acquired an ox and a donkey, um, which is a clean and an unclean animal. Where, where does it say that? Right in the beginning, verse 6. I have acquired ox. Ox and donkeys, flocks, servants and maids. Actually, the Hebrew, all, all four of those things he says are in singular. Really? Yes. Yeah. I have acquired an ox, a donkey. Well, say it. Whatever. Oh, no, I'm listening to you. <laughs> well, while I was reading, this stage in particular was commenting how he's, he's worried for his children because his children are the offspring of an ox and a donkey. Um, he being the ox, the clean animal, and his wife. And now we have people calling women donkeys. Because yeah. <laughs> she's a, she's uh, like a donkey in that she was she's descended from Lipin, okay. which is the unclean side of the family. Right. Okay. He's on the clean uh-huh. side of the family. Uh-huh. So sort of an illusion. Keep talking. That <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say keep digging. Yeah. Well, you got to dig yourself out. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is that it? That's it? That's all you got for me? I, I got something to say. Okay. We'll do a little better than the donkey thing. Okay. 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 The rabbis point out that all four of these words, the, the ox, the donkey, the fox, and the servants, they're all actually in singular. Flocks is in plural, but that's because you can't. It's a flock? Yes, it's actually, yeah, it's a flock. So anyway, um, they say these are all illusions. First, the ox is an allusion to Joseph. Because at the end of Genesis, Jacob says Joseph is an ox. Mm. The donkey is an allusion to Issachar, who Jacob calls 
The wild ass of a man. Yeah. No, uh, this one. That's Ishmael. Oh, that's Ishmael. Sorry. <laughs> I got my asses messed up. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, actually, let's call him a donkey. Um, the flocks are in allusion to Israel, who are the sort of sheep of my pasture. Sheep, okay, yeah. Sheep. Uh, the servant is David, who is David, the my servant, servant of sure. God. Servant and the maid servant is Abigail, who describes herself as a handmaid, mm. a servant to the king. And so, what Jacob is is hinting at here is, you know, this is a message to Esau, and he's he's just hinting that the the merit of his future descendants. Where's Mister Rose? Right behind you. <laughs> Listening. Okay, the marriage. <laughs> you know, we can add Messiah in there too. Will help him overcome Esau. So it's kind of like a warning. Hmm. As it turned out, it worked. It There's no godly line coming There's through. There's nothing in. wrong with merit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like it. That's. I. I didn't see that. I. Well, you can't because you don't see it in singular, so it doesn't catch your right. eye. Right. Yeah. One of the one of the commentaries was talking about the word sojourned, where he says, "I have sojourned with Laban and lingered until now," and that that word used there is the numerical equivalent of six thirteen, which alludes to the fact that he kept all six hundred and thirteen commandments whenever he was within Laban's house, and that. Could have also added to the fear factor. And and the response we should learn when we hear the sages say that is. Of course he did. Well, it's actually, it's, so for those of us that live in the di- diaspora, and that's actually, this one, this Weishlach uh, is important to me, because I live in the diaspora, it's difficult for me to keep the commandments. Mm-hmm. When you live in Jerusalem, it's not difficult. That's true. It's difficult for me, it's difficult for everyone. It may not seem like it is, because you love God, but the culture fights against us constantly. That's true. So Ilam Angarpi is my badge of honor. It's like, I, I don't keep the commandments because it's easy and a part of the culture. Mm. I keep the commandments because God said that I should. Yeah. The cool thing to take from what both of them have said is that there's a little teaching that's the saying in Lavangarti is, I have sojourned with Laban. But because of the 613's idea, I have not been affected by it. I still keep the commandments. And there's evidence, sorry, there's evidence that because he won't, you know, Laban pray, am I getting the right guy? Yeah, in the name of the gods of yep. Abraham and the whore. Yeah. Now, take it back. No, no, no. no. Wrong gods. God is my father. <laughs> yeah. Good. That's good. Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they say because he said I sojourned with Laban, he was he was saying since I can I can sojourn with this guy, I can. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> sure. Got it. Isaac was a big guy. We can assume that Jacob may have been a big guy too. <laughs> or else this all could have gone to east. I tend to think of them as, you know, night and day. Big, hairy, strong guy. Smart, wise, balding. In the tennis with the women. I mean, he, he could cook. Okay. Yes, I'm. Um, I'm looking at the uh, second Aliyah. <laughs> he cooked a mean stew. I mean, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, the stew was to die for. Oh, the 
soup was to die. <laughs> All right. The sages brought up uh, in my in my Bible about that night because that night appears three times. I don't know if you saw that. Um, on three occasions in this current section, the Torah adds the seemingly superfluous statement that the events occurred. Quote. On that night. First, in verse uh, 14, after Yaakov's prayer, the Torah concludes, He slept there that night. Hmm. It could have just said, He slept there. Okay. The second one is in verse 22. After sending the gift to Esav, he slept that night in the camp. And then finally, before Yaakov attempts to save his family and possessions by transporting them across the Yabak River, the Torah states, that night he got up. Which is how uh, I think this particular Aliyah begins, is it? So there we go. So, the sages say that uh, the Torah is coming to emphasize that all these three emotions... Adjustment to prayer, adjustment to appeasement, and adjustment to war tactics all occurred on that night. And they go on to talk about how amazing it is that they happened all at the same time. That he he was able to actually walk through these various emotions, maintain his wits about him, and see God working there. He immersed himself in all three activities simultaneously. So, anyway, little uh, little deal. There's an interesting passage here that the sages dig into more deeply. It says that the, then Jacob was left alone. And yeah. they comment on it being more than just a sense of like physical people around him, but the idea that Jacob was so righteous, it was like in a sense that he was as though he were alone. Like he was alone uh, in terms of his deeds and standing, whatever else. And it's interesting because um, the sages who argue that the angel that wrestles with him is the guardian angel of Esau um, say that, in effect, which they say is... um, they say is like an embodiment of evil is a sense that like the evil was trying to prevent Jacob because Jacob had reached this high standing with God so we have to break that but then other perspective if you argue that the angel is actually Hashem himself which seems to be the case based on the prophets sure um, is, and the I think can't, I can't help but think about the idea of like um uh, in the Psalms and also with Yeshua when he talks about like going into your closet praying you know you'll be it says alone with God and then you see also in the Psalms the idea of like this um, like in uh, in your tents you'll hide me that's part of that secret place kind of idea that language of almost being alone with God so same sense here it's like Jacob has set himself apart he's holy in a real sense, mm. from all the people around him. And it's in that place of holiness and that place of righteousness that God meets with him in a very vivid and powerful way. Cool. I like it. I like it a lot. Can I, I miss, can I go back like a couple verses as well? Okay. Um, but if you're going to work slow the rest of the time, we're going to have to kick you out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. But just a thing I noticed. Verse 10 of 32, when Jacob prays, you know, I, I mean, because of that prayer, 
Esau doesn't attack him, right? Like I don't, I don't think it just was predetermined, but like because Jacob prayed, like that's why maybe there wasn't an attack. Because look at all the examples of of the kings, you know, and Hezekiah, like Assyria, Judah comes, you know, to destroy. They, they come to destroy Judah, and Hezekiah, you know, goes up and prays mm-hmm. before God, and because of that prayer, God says, "All right, I'm going to destroy them," you know, or God. God moves on behalf of His people. Agreed. Yeah. Say the of a righteous man much. Exactly. So, so just to say, like, to kind of say, well, you know, he had these plans and this prayer, and then, but Esau never heard him anyway. Like, I think a lot of times in my own life, or you know, we we tend to say, oh, well, we prayed about it, but nothing happened anyway. It's like, well, because we prayed, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It could be. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely could be. I think we can see it either way. Um, it doesn't specifically say because he prayed. No. But when I don't see that, I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't. Right. Yeah. Right? So either way, um, God is glorified. We run into several and problems when people don't do that. Like exactly. Joshua, Joshua with the Gibeonites, they make a treaty with the wrong guys because right. he didn't ask yeah, God didn't first. Ask God. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. It's a water water. I do think it's important that we note that most in professing Christendom have a, a, a fairly poor um, understanding of Jacob. You know, he's a deceiver, he's a wicked guy, he's twisted and all that kind of stuff. So to uh, associate his prayer with that of a righteous man, I think is more consistent with what we're seeing here. He's obviously, I mean, he's, it looks like he's trying to cover all his bases. I'll try and appease the guy, I'm going to set up if that doesn't work, and I'm going to pray. And I think that's why the sages went out of their way to say, do you see this that night there three times? It's not like, I'll try the gift thing. Oh, man, that might not work. Okay, okay, I got the gift thing covered. Um, we'll split the camps. Let's we'll split the camps. Okay, we'll split them up. Man, I forgot to pray. We need to pray, too. I'm going to pray. It, it's not like that. And the sages are trying to point out, he did all three of these because all three are correct and right to do. And I think we see that righteous man. And I can't argue with you that that prayer, if God turns the rivers of waters and turns a king's heart in the same way how do we know that he didn't turn Esau's heart because why is Esau it apparently bearing down on Jacob with 400 men why would he come with 400 men unless he was concerned that he was going to get his butt kicked I mean why else would you come with 400 unless you were planning to take someone out or defend either way it looks like war is imminent but Esau seems like a little pussycat when they finally meet, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, who, who are all these people? What's all this stuff coming by here? I mean, this gift's galore here. Uh, it's an important the way, the way that he prays, though, because he doesn't just ask God to punish. Yeah. He, he, first of all, he appeals on the basis of God's promises. Yeah. And then, although it's not explicitly stated here, he appeals on the basis of his merit, that he has... That he has I've been obedient. I've been walking the way that you asked me to. Mm-hmm. But in the final analysis, he, he stacks he stacks it all up and he says, but you promise. Overall, you promise. In other words, you promise for a reason, but fi- final analysis, you promise and you've got to do it. And I love the way that all he bets does, are off. does yeah. it here. He says, 
What verse? What father, verse? What verse? This is uh, verse ten. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Yitzhak, God who said to me, "Return to the land of your forefathers, to your birthplace, and I will be with you." My merits have become small due to all the acts of kindness and true fulfillment of all your promises that you have done for your servants. So I fear that I've lost the merit to be saved from Esau. For when I crossed the river Jordan, I only had my stick, and now I've amassed two camps. Please save me from the hand of my so-called brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. He might come and strike me, and even a mother with her child. You said, I will do good to you. I will do good to you in your merit, and I will do good in the merit of your forefathers, and I will make your descendants as widespread as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their great number. So he's like, he, he recognizes, and actually I pray this way because of these prayers. I pray this way oftentimes for my sons. I don't say, because of my merit, I'm asking you to do these things for my sons. I say, because of the merit of my father, Jack, and his lifelong devotion to you, will you hear the prayer of me for my sons? And 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 it seems to me, I mean, because it's that's the way Jacob prays. Because of you're the God of my father and his father, and it seems to me that it's probably a good thing to remind God of the people who lead us and have been faithful to and him. have been faithful to him. And for us to recognize that, that that's the identity of the God we're praying to. That right. He has been, He is the God of being faithful to Abraham. He's the God of revealing himself to Isaac. Yeah. And He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yes, sir. Go. I mean, that's that's another way. I think of it as in Romans eleven. Um, you know, for the sake of uh, their beloved, for the sake of the Father. Right. So, so another way to think of it is: Do you? This is wonderful, right? You know, the, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, so what you're doing, you're compassing who he is. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? He's not the God of pagans. He's not the God of anybody else. And so through you know that seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So in the merit of your promised seed, Yeshua, um, this is the same God. Then Yeshua, my righteousness, um, I appeal to, to him and his work on my behalf that you be glorified in my family's thoughts, words, and deeds, rendering every thought captive to him. That's another way um, to think of it. And I guess that, and I'm asking, I mean, historically, a lot of the commentators in Talmud are um, wanting to not necessarily acknowledge Yeshua's Messiah. And so aren't they more inclined to rely upon their relationship in the flesh through the forefathers? And so is that where merit comes from? If you don't have Yeshua as the promised seed that you're trusting in, then you, you want to upplay the forefathers. We don't downplay them. The church does. They shouldn't. We know that. Yeah. You know, Roman says we're confirming the promises to the forefathers. I, I think Help me understand you know, I think there's no problem uplifting the forefathers. Right. I mean, the, the scripture calls them righteous men and so forth, and they were obedient and so right. forth. Right. Uh, and, and God used them. But I wouldn't play one against the other. I wouldn't say you can either lift up the forefathers or you can pray in the merit of Yeshua. I'm trying to affirm both. I think what I'm trying to do. I'm I, trying to, the commentary. I think you can do both. I agree. And I think I we, of all people, should do both. Amen. I'll right. I'm saying. I don't think the sages normally do. They don't um, talk about Messiah Yeshua, right? Because they're because of who they are. I understand. Right. I understand. But I also don't think it's in their uh, in their mode, if you will, yeah. to pray in the merit of any Messiah. 
because those sages haven't seen that ultimate Messiah. That's right. So they would never, I mean, their thought is when Messiah comes, right. we won't even have to pray like this because he'll be right for here. For our sake, I'm just saying that yeah. it's nice that we do have right, the Messiah so that we can affirm. Absolutely. Absolutely, as and part of the forefathers, and do Abraham was trusting the same side, and doing both. You yeah, have. yeah, absolutely. So that absolutely. Is one. And I don't think we need to do one or the other, yeah. or both every time. Have you heard people? They have to end their prayers in exactly this particular way. They can't just right. say "Amen," or they have to start in a particular way. Right. Like, those kind of formula prayers are a problem. We, we, we should just be free to speak with Him. He is our loving and heavenly Father. Good. Excellent point, Alex. Thank you. Going back to the issue of the name of Jacob. Um, he gets the bad, name of Jacob? Name oh, of, oh, his reputation. He gets yeah. a very bad rap because his name is comes from the word heel. Yes. Because he was pulling on Esau's heel. Right, so we get that whole supplanter thing. Supplanter. Which is really unfair, um, or deceiver. Unfair translation. It's one of the idea of a heel grabber. And we see that... Because he was. Yes, we see, exactly, literally. Yes. And we okay. see that tenacity show up in this text. That's when right. he he's grabs onto that. God, and he's not letting go. Right. And the the uh, the guy he's wrestling with looks at him and says, you know, let go, and he won't. He, says, he, he, right. he dislocates his hip. I can't imagine how painful that would be. And he refuses to let him go. And he's like, uh, it's dawn is breaking. i got to get out of here. You know, <laughs> what do we got to do to get you to let go of me? And it's interesting that in Psalms, they actually key in on, on in a sense, on this idea of Jacob. It, in talking about the righteous man in Psalm 24, he says, This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And then they say, Jacob, just by itself. And it's like the idea that Jacob was the embodiment of someone who really sought God because he grabbed a hold of God and refused to let go under any circumstances. Excellent. That is Israel. That is the character Israel. Exactly. They won't, we will not let go of God. Yeah, I wish they would say the same thing about the land. Um, I, before you go, let me let me just say that before I forget, you know, a lot of people think very highly of me, and I think that's really cool, and I appreciate it. But I got to tell you, I just don't think that's what I would ask for. What have I got to do to get out of here? What does Jacob say? Bless me. I just don't think that's what would come to my mind first. Ah! Your mileage may vary. You think about what you would say. Yes, Gregory. Well, I was just going to say, in his prayer, it, it, I think because of the promise made by him, it was like, as you were saying, he, he held on to God so steadfastly that the promise that surely I will do good with you and I will make your offspring more numerous, I mean, that would be impossible if he was killed or at any of his family. That's right. So it was almost like this is impossible for, for it to happen because of your promises and just trusting on them that steadfastly. Good. Good. Yes, ma'am. You, you just brought up exactly what I was thinking, which was just a question about. It, it looks like we are just saying that the policy here of, of trying to appease Esau mm-hmm. was really smart and apparently worked. Maybe that's not all. Well, worked. did that work? Did the prayer work? Right. Did, you know. But he definitely did give of what God given him to Esau. Yeah. And so, if we take that into modern day political terms with Israel and you know the nations that are coming to attack them. The same way that Esau was. Um, yes, and we same, know Esau is. You know, that was really clear. Yeah. At the end. But um, it should we take that policy of appeasement as a model, or 
Is well, that totally wrong? Appeasement is a command from the Torah. If you are going to go to war, you have to give them terms for peace first. Because the overriding assumption is, if you're going to war, it's because you know God wants you to go to war, and therefore you will win. Yeah, but these are far more than terms of peace. I mean, this was a lot of stuff. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> he, what is he, but what is he giving him the stuff for? Peace. peace. And notice... Well, that isn't that exactly but what I think the Israelis would say? We're giving our stuff for peace. I, well, he didn't give land. No. <laughs> he gave stuff that's on the land. <laughs> well, you could argue that he did, because he had to give the promises for it. Yeah. But technically, I think at this point, and this is something that I think the sages would definitely support, the idea that appeasement has its limits. That's why he prepared for war as well. In other words, I'll make I'll make concessions to a point. That's why the idea of like the Torah, what you can um, what commands you can break to save a life. Right, right. You know, there's a there's a certain list of things that you can do that will violate Shabbat or whatever else in order to save a life. But there's also like these five commands with like murder and adultery and uh, you just blasphemy. can't you, it doesn't matter. You die before you break them. Right. And I think that's kind of the idea here. Since it's like up to a point, absolutely, you try to appease. I think Yeshua like emphasizes this issue really strongly in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks sure. about the idea of like you know if you if you and your person are going to court, they yeah. want this from you settled before you get there. Yep. If they want your coat, give it to them. Whatever. You, you know, give so more. Give give give, give them both. the cloak. Yeah. So it's like the idea that um, it's like in Romans where it says as much as it's possible with you, be at peace with all men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what Jacob is doing is he's going as far <laughs> as he feels comfortable going. Notice he doesn't like you know um, take my kids. Yeah. He doesn't. He he has a limit to how far he's willing to go, but he goes as far as he can go to try and make that peace work. If it doesn't work, he's prepared to fight if necessary. Yeah. So I think in the case of like with the, with the Israelis today. I think there are maybe ways that they can to nest it. There are things that they can concede on, um, and there are ways that they can do to try and make peace. There's nothing wrong with making peace. The problem is there is a limit to that. And there's a there's a point where you go you can go too far, and I think that Jacob wisely stops short of that. Yeah. Yes. Well, the idea of uh, that the uh, Hebrew language actually supports this concept of sort of paying for peace. Is is also there as a, um, a mnemonic device that used in in learning the the modern Hebrew. There's the verb le shalem, which is to pay, and shalem has the same shorash as shalom, which is peace. So thinking of this idea that you know it's not going to come for free, you know you have to pay for peace, is uh, I think language also language itself also supports that. It's clear the limit is the land. You don't divide up the land. Nope. And the peace terms are only with the foreign nations, not with those you drove out of Canaan. Exactly. Not in the land. So that's contextually the more precise way of thinking of this. The peace treaty isn't with the people in the land, it's those outside the land. Right. What do you want to expand? And then also, <coughs> listening to Ezekiel 36 the other day, you know that that prophecy is to the mountains. That just hit me. That whole new heart, everything, it's all prophesied to the mountains that this will happen. So the land is, and that connects with Genesis 15, where the covenant of the parts involves the land, including also pointing to Yeshua. So, yeah, echoing the land comments, we don't compromise on the land as part of the flowering of the gospel. Yes. Uh, um, Flowering. That was was good. I like that. In chapter 33, uh, verse 1, Jacob raised his eyes. 
and saw the only thing We jumped into the third Aliot already? Aliot? Yes, we've been there. Okay, I just, I'm just following along. That's good. Yeah, 33. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you the children and Leah, Rachel, and she made service, took made service for the children first, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph last. Then he himself went on ahead of them. That's another hint that he wasn't a wimp. I mean, he yeah. divides his family, but he went to the front. Right. He didn't, he didn't, Point he man. Didn't put the women in front. <laughs> no, no, but I've heard it actually explain, <laughs> yeah. obviously without the text in front of him, explain exactly the opposite. Right. He sends his family ahead and he comes last. Oh. Right. Yeah. Oh. Then, he, then he himself personally went on ahead of them and bowed earthward seven times until he reached his brother. Verse 4 Esau ran toward him, embraced him, fell upon his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Now, do you see what I see in verse 4? We see it. Are you talking about the Joseph story? In verse 4, Esau ran toward him, embraced him, fell upon his neck, and kissed Joseph. That's what I was talking about, the Joseph story. Isn't that what, isn't that what I just said? The Joseph story? Look, right, right there in the verse. What am I, well, okay, what am I not seeing? Help me. Look on the right side of your page. Oh, that side. On the right oh. side. Oh, then they were. You have a word there in the Hebrew. Oh. Six little dots. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> um, which is the, the six dots? This is the six dots. The six dots one. Do you see it? It's on the right hand side. In your Hebrew. If you're in your Hebrew. I see it. I just don't know so the question is so this verse why are the six dots there because they're there in the Torah scroll none of the markings are by accident so why are they there the understanding is that those dots are are representative of teeth because the kiss that Esau gave him was insincere it's, it's as if he fell upon his neck and really wanted to go for the jugular. The idea is it was an insincere kiss. So his heart was not changed. And of course, we know that from, you know, from, from the rest of the stories, right? But he, he, he uh, for whatever reason, it could be the prayer that Jacob had, it could be the gift he opted not to attack at that moment but he fell upon him and he fell upon his neck and kissed him the dots there represent teeth which is to say is insincere about the gesture wow now the reason that that's important is because Italians do that from time to time yeah, yeah. Esau is a dome. Okay, Esau is a dome. Esau is the grandfather of Amalek, Amalek who yes. we are commanded that we yes. will have a war with Amalek in every generation. Mm -hmm. So no matter what gesture of peace Israel makes towards Amalek and Edom, they may say they want peace, they don't want peace. Right, right. Because they've inherited the same spirit that Esau yes. has. Esau so there's no peace wow. to be made with Edom and descendants of Esau. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the military strategy? Obadiah. Obadiah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> By the way, it's only Obadiah in my Bible, too. I didn't, it, it, uh, for those of you who are here for the Torah service, we, we did uh, we did Obadiah, the, the Hosea thing, according to David. 
David Stern's uh, complete Jewish Bible was the Ashkenazi Haftar. That was the Haftar from last week. I know. All I'm telling you is Pete's right. That's what it had, but I like the Avadi one. Yes. um, The alternative view, because the the rabbis go back and forth on Esau. Was he serious? Was he not serious? Some rabbis see the word wept, and they say, you only weep when there's like real emotion. You can't fake that. So their argument is, no, you can, and I've seen it, but their argument is that it was it was sincere, and they actually take a very interesting perspective on this. They say that those tears, like they, I think they say that he didn't really cry that much or whatever, but they, but those tears, um, in a sense, were like a measure point for Israel. They say that Israel will only be able to defeat Esau long term when their tears, like I guess they did like tears of repentance, outweigh Esau's tears. So you have a wicked man who weeps, and there's some sort of reconciliation there, but then in a sense like Esau's been more victorious in more recent times, the only way that ultimately Israel will succeed is if their tears of repentance outweigh Esau's. Which we hope to see soon in our days when Messiah comes. There is no corrective for these six dots. There are no marginal notes. And that's why the rabbis are the, the sages actually don't agree on what they are. These are an indication in a Torah scroll that we have something to ask Messiah about this verse. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put these notes? No, it's here for a reason. It's here for a reason. Wow. And since we don't know what it is, we need to ask him what this means. That's exactly. We also need to have reading from a, 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 a scripture about God. God, 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 God yes. But it does relate to Esau. And that's really amazing. It is. It is. <laughs> Bringing in the... Yeah, well, that's right. We all thought you were going to the Joseph thing. Good, good, good. We trade with a kiss. The Judas thing. The Joseph deal where Joseph falls on his brother's uh, Benjamin's neck and weeps for him. Laban runs out and kisses, kisses him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And checking his pocket. Don't accept the kiss. Stay away. Okay, I want to back up just a little bit. There's a couple of things that that we uh, skipped in the second uh, aliyah. Um, just a little bit. Just no, just one real quick. Just real real quick. Um, the gift: two hundred female goats, two hundred male goats, two hundred ewes, twenty rams, the nursing camels with their young, forty cows, ten bulls, ten female donkeys and 10 male donkeys and the sages pointed out that he divided them up into groups the four groups by their species I never saw that before that he would have the, uh, the goats in the one the goats that using the rams in the one the nursing camels in the second group the cows and the bulls in the, in the third and then the donkeys in the fourth um, I'm at uh, well, it oh, starts in 15. 13. Yeah, it starts in 15. Uh, it's interesting that verse 15, 14. all the words end with mem. All the words end with mem. Mm-hmm. Which, well, it makes sense that it's plural, but it does have some significance. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Got a lot of mems there, baby. Good. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Mine. There's got to be water there somewhere. Is there a well? Is there a well in this story? Mine is not No, it's because they all have blemishes. Because they all have blemishes. The Hebrew word for blemishes is like 
mutim or something. Okay, filled with men. Because he didn't want Esau to, to have the good stuff. Use these for sacrifices. Because um, um, that would be detrimental. Sure. Okay. I want to go to the Hosea verse. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, I think this is why the part of the Haftar? Yes, I do. This is so beautiful. I think this is why the, this may be their favorite prophet. Um, I will not execute verse nine of chapter eleven. My fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Okay, beautiful picture of the heart. But actually, I think the picture there is um, one verse. It says that his heart recoils within him. Okay, and it reminded me of Psalm seventy-eight, um, verse uh, thirty-eight. But he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and not did, did not arouse all his wrath. Okay. So you have this picture of favor, disfavor, and it's kind of like the rheostat on a light bulb. You know, you, you turn it up bright, you turn it down, sort of a dimmer switch almost, it, it, it seems. And why that, that's so uh, poignant with the Jacob account where he prays for deliverance through appeasement, and that's a picture of Yeshua on the cross, is that in Romans 8.3, that was an instance where he satisfied his wrath on flesh, not withdrew it, on the only innocent, uncreated man who ever lived. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's nice to see Yeshua in those instances of, of withholding his wrath, not arousing his entire wrath, because the gospel is not that he just sets aside his wrath forever and ever. He satisfies it in the only person who is innocent. That on that basis, he's rendered favorable toward us who deserve his wrath. That's good. So that's just a beautiful connection to God's the there. uniqueness Absolutely. of him not relenting. Right. right. Cool. Good. Can I say something on the, on the heels of that? On the heels of Okay. On the heels of I think we have a category error here in this thought because atonement is not to be equated with appeasement. We have this in the world of men where we're, we're in this present world. In the present world, these men are unrighteous. And, and hence the threefold solution here. Uh, he comes with a military strategy. He comes with prayer. And then he sends these gifts before him. Um, with atonement, what, what's required, what, what God requires of us is chuba. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter how many gifts we offer. You know, uh, like the prophets say, rend your hearts and not your garments. So He's not looking for uh, you know gifts that are that are false. God wants our hearts. He does, but we cannot come to Him Maybe. in our own merit, right? Regardless yeah. of those gifts. Without that atonement, exactly. But atonement is not atonement is not the satisfaction of God's personal wrath. But by virtue of atonement and our tshuva, Hashem can turn from His wrath. God doesn't what, require what basis would He turn from His wrath? Tshuva and the atonement. Tshuva in the atonement is is the basis for God turning from His wrath. God, in other words, God is not looking for someone to to punish. In our in our place, right? Because he already did that. He looked, he found, but there is no atonement without shedding of blood. 
That's correct. Forgiveness. I mean, the word that we use in the portion that is used means appeasement, and that is what Paul uses to describe what Yeshua accomplished on the cross. So, I mean, that's right there in the text. There is there is a tone without shedding blood. There is no there is no remission of sin. It's a forgiveness without shedding blood. There is no forgiveness without shedding blood. Leviticus says there's no appeasement. Well, because it says you says you got to pay a shekel that atones for your soul. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that cover. Yeah, remission of sin. Remission of sin is different from atonement. That's part of the part of our problem is that if we come from a Christian uh, background, or if we have we have that as part of a cultural background, we hear the words and we think we know what they mean. And cup, 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 or atonement, or whatever else, means something totally, totally different from my sins are forgiven. I'm just saying. And so, so to go back to Ken's point. He's he's I'm not put words in your mouth, but right. uh, trying trying to bring atonement in as a uh, as a Torah understanding versus as a uh, as that's a right. common uh, that's right as a common Christian uh, construct, mm-hmm. which it's not. Okay. Although the, the the concept of atonement of God putting His wrath on something else is definitely very much the Torah. We see the examples with the offerings. I mean, the day of but that's not atonement. Day, of atonement. That's not day atonement. of atonement, Yom Kippur, is the um, he pulls aside the, the goat that's set aside, and he he says he he puts his hands on it, and the 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 tradition of what he's doing, partly the text, he confesses the sins of the people on, like when we have that section in Yom Kippur prayers, we're like, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. It's like that idea is what the, the priest was praying over the goat in the sense that he's putting the sins of the people that's on the goat. That's not covering sin, that's taking sin away. It's taking sin away. That's right. There's but but there's a judgment falling on the goat to take that sin away. <coughs> I mean, so I think that with Yeshua, he is he's, he's taking our, our judgment um, upon himself and it is also achieving atonement which is a satisfactionary covering. It's slightly separate but they're linked in a way. Well, they ultimately get linked because all of that happens with him. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's where it all comes together. We have, we have atonement in Messiah, in Messiah's yeah. work. We also have our sins taken away in Messiah's work yeah. but they're not taken away by the same acts. Right before we get before we get too deep and my brain explodes. Yes? No. No. We're there's a Rav. There's a Rav. Okay. Wait. First, one out. Chapter thirteen, verse thirty-one. So after he wrestles. Wait, wait, wait. So we're are we in the wrestling thing yet? Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to get to the wrestling thing. We're there. We're there. We're in the wrestling thing. Thank you. So he wrestles, right? In verse 31, it says, So Yaakov called the name of the place Paniel. Right. Okay. For I've seen the divine face to face, yet my life was spared. Then the, 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 sun, the sun rose for him as he passed Paniel. So, like, there's this little change in the, in the spell. So, so, what's interesting is. Um, in, in, in where I'm going at this, I mean, obviously there's different interpretations from Chazal and others about who was the angel and blah, blah, blah. It has to be God. I think most of us would agree with that. Uh, but there's other hints here in the Hebrew because he names the place Paniel, Hamakom. So for those of you who are not up on being able to clearly articulate how we know the guy that he wrestled with was God. Now you should be taking notes. 
because we're going to come up with several bullet points for you. So if this is new for you, let's write these down, okay? So the first one you're bringing up with the word peniel. Right. Well, in the Hebrew it says hamakom. The place. Yeah. All right, okay. so... Place. The place, which the is which is Hamakom, is actually in the Psalms used as a name for God. It's Temple Mount. Yeah. In the Psalms? Yeah. 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 My face. My face? Isn't it? My, is it is a, I have seen God face seen. to face. Yeah. So it's like the idea that it is L, it's God, but right. it's like Penny is like Penny mine. Is me. There's two faces. Right. There is. There's my face and there's his face. Actually, right. Pen, Peniel, you could maybe even by Hebrew be the face of God as yeah. a way of actually reading right. it too. Yeah. All right, so what do you got? Okay, so so we have Hamakom Paniel, and then in the next verse it says, past, in the Hebrew it says, et Panuel. And the yud is replaced with a vav. Okay, we we already have an illusion, one illusion about how the yud and the vav interrelate as it relates to the Messiah. Right. And and Panuel is prefaced by the Hebrew word et that is not has no translation. Right. Which of course we know is a is is identified with the Messiah. Good. So that's cool. Just additional evidence from the Hebrew text itself that it has to be God, and it's and it's likely, you know, uh, however you want to describe pre-incarnate and so or whatever. Whatever, right? right? But the idea is, it has, in my in my view, the text seems to strongly indicate that it's God, based on I mean, based on the. Other commentary from Hazal in terms of how the, that that phrase hamakom is always yeah, well, the prophets seal the deal. Well, and let's talk about the prophets. Okay, we go to Hosea or Hosea, right? He describes that Jacob wrestled with God. Well, actually, he says, I think the angel of the Lord. So yeah, Hosea? God, and then the next verse says he wrestled with the angel. Okay, he wrestled, he wrestled with the with angel. God. So it says he wrestled with God. And the next verse. And then the angel. But Targum Jonathan, what's Targum? Aramaic paraphrase. It's an Aramaic paraphrase of the prophets, right? Targum Jonathan says, in no uncertain terms. Now this is, this has nothing to do with church. This has nothing to do with Christianity. This has nothing to do with Yeshua. This is the sages. They, it says right there, he wrestled with yod heh vav now, if you're talking to a Jew who is absolutely dead set against, there's no possible way that God has any form or substance that you can touch. He's going to find himself not wrestling now with you, but he's going to be wrestling with Targum Jonathan or Yonatan. Over the wrestling passage. Over a wrestling passage. Ah. That's exactly right. Oh, it's unbelievable. One of the questions that I have is... I told that, by the way, to a rabbi in this room, and he had no idea. He hadn't read the target. Well, one of the questions I had was the, the word for, in this case, where it says, the, my, my translation translates it as my divine. My But, um, you know, it, like that he he saw the divine face-to-face, not, and that's like the, the L, you know, it's not the Yote Bape, that's the word for, for God in that case. Yes. But then it also says, when he's talking to Esau, that it's like seeing the face of the of a divine being when when referring to Esau, yeah. and that confused me a little bit because it's like it's almost like denigrating what he saw before by saying that he's oh it's like seeing the same thing when he's seeing yeah. Esau or, or the other way around. 
again an appeasement trying to lift up yeah. his brother and I think maybe it was just sort of like a confirmation of prayer if you just saw uh, God face to face you wouldn't think he's all would you be thinking about it after it happened I think it'd be kind of you know embedded in my mind for several days at least. You know, a couple of dinners are going to go by. I can't remember what we had for dinner, but if I saw God's face, I'm going to remember that. I think that it's in this parsha. It's not by accident that we're supposed to actually do exactly that. We're supposed to go, wow, that's like the same idea. What is that all about? And I think that, and for me, looking at it, it's 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 a relationship between Mashiach and one who represents Mashiach, but is the ultimate evil. So it's like the opposite. Esau is like anti-Messiah. Yeah, he's like he's like yeah, yin and yang. I'm sorry, it's not unity. It's actually the opposite. Uh, and so. So he's wrestled with God, and Esau is the antithesis of mm. God. So it's actually, I think he says it for, not not, a, not not in sarcasm, but to point out how much he's not the face of God. How different it is. Yeah, but, but the sages pick up on that, and that's why they originally came to the idea that, that it was Esau. He's, he's wrestling with Esau's angel, right. his guardian angel. You know, so, wow, familiarity there or something. Yes, I got you, then you. You look just like the guy wrestling. Yes, that's, that's right. Well, you have more hair. What's up with that? <laughs> same, same, uh, same, uh, uh, same uh, portion here, but backing up to verse 29. He said, No longer will it be said that your name is Yaakov, but Israel, for you have striven with the divine and with man and have overcome. Okay? Now, in the Hebrew, that with the divine and with man is. Uh, is Im Elohim Beim Anashim okay so it's actually with God and with men right. it's plural Anashim. Anashim so some have said that okay he's he's he's, he's uh, struggled with God and he struggled with men in the sense that he's he had to put up with Laban and he's put up with Esau's mask right, right. You know, so he's struggled with both and he's overcome okay that that's one interpretation that could work. And the thing that jumped out at me was we know Elohim, right? We've had this discussion. Elohim. We know there's only one God. Why is Elohim plural? Right? Because it's it's always this 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 notion. It's kind of like a term of endearment in the sense that it's it's talking about the majesty of God, and that's why we say Elohim. That's why we say Adonai, which is plural, right? Adonai. And I'm I'm wondering. Could it be, not suggesting that it is, or maybe I am suggesting, but could it be that Im Elohim Ve'im Anashim, it's one man, but the, the, the text uses the plural as another way to emphasize mm. Mm. there's something unique about this man. Mm. <laughs> that could work for the pre incarnate whole Yeshua thing. Very, very nice. I like that. Yes. Oh, wait. I think John. Yes? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Defer? I'm going to, um, keeping us moving here a little bit, skip ahead to the next chapter. Oh, hang on one second then. Anything else in this with the wrestle? Oh. Okay. Well, to pick up on the. Esau is described as the divine face. I think in the Midrash it says that uh, Elohim is the name that always is, uh, denotes judgment or like a, a judge. So it's the, so when uh, when he saw Esau's face, he 
he wasn't very happy to see him. He was right as if it was a, a judge. So mm. that, that helped me kind of get. Okay. Okay. Yes. Can I just to get my voice on the please, board. just so people know you're here. Yes. This is Jeremy right Yes. I'll go real simple here. We, I, um, simples works for me every time. Um, I I have always thought that it's cool that it was it was wrestling that you know God or whoever didn't show up and say let's play checkers or chess or something. I mean, it was, it was like a, <laughs> it's a manly thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like a physical a yeah. physical struggle. You know. I'm sure there's a lot more to that, but like I said, I just want to get that on there. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Jeremy's joining the wrestling team next semester, by the way. Let me, let me, uh, let me read this uh, this particular paragraph in this version. This is the the Gutnik. I just I just think it was uh, it was cool. The angel said to him, "What's your name?" Yaakov. He said, "Please be patient." He said. God will reveal himself to you in Bethel, and then your name will no longer be Yaakov, which denotes trickery and deceit, but rather Yisrael, suggesting that the blessings were authorized because you fought with an angel of God and with Levan and Asav, and you have overcome them. I will be there too, and I will consent to your blessing then. Now I know it's kind of full, full uh, and, and sort of adds a whole lot in there, but it's interesting why would an angel see I think the, I think the sage is messed up in their translation it, the paragraph starts out implying that the one he's wrestling with is just an angel and he talks about God but by the end the angel's going to be there consenting to the name change angels don't have to consent to name changes when God does something so I think it implies that whole God thing um, very nicely just to pick up on um your comments, Jeremy, about you know the wrestling, right? And of course, you know the name Israel means you know means he strives or wrestles with with Hashem, which um, and I know we we kicked this concept around in in our study class before, but uh, to me it's 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 worth repeating because. On one level, you know, there's always the debate about, you know, who is Israel, right? And that, that debate's happened, you know, and still ongoing. The sages have debated it. But on a drosh level, you're just kind of droshing this out a little bit, um, Israel are those who truly struggle with Hashem, who engage, mm. pay the price, because what happens to him? He ends up limping. Mm-hmm. The picture here is those who struggle with Hashem, their the way they walk has to change. And the way they walk is and the way they walk is noticeable to others. It's noticeable. It's peculiar. There's, it's peculiar. <laughs> but it also is, there's a price. There's a price. There's a cost to those who grab a hold of Hashem and wrestle with Him. If we're out in the world doing our own thing, we're not. We're not trying to figure out what the Hebrew says, and then we have nothing to. Who cares, right? We're not struggling with the things of God. So, at a drosh level, Israel are those who truly, sincerely, genuinely engage Hashem, pay the cost, and allow their walk to exhibit. The fact, the evidence that they have in our wrestling with Hashem. I glorify His name. I like it. And I like our descendants won't be descended. That's right. Yes. Yes. 
Nope. I knew there was a hand. Yes. So, just on the how much more thing, you know, going to the the idea that Yeshua is the single representative of Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much more, if that's the case for us, that our walk's going to look different and that we're going to suffer, how much more has he suffered and that his walk was so different from everyone? So. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, we'll skip ahead here. We can skip ahead now. Yes, we're we're skipping ahead. Done wrestling. Next, um, the next portion or the next section when you get to the uh, to uh, Jacob's meeting with Esau and how he's sharing with things and, and Esau offers to help him out. Let's hang out together. And Jacob's like, No, that's okay. You go on ahead. I'll meet you later. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, not so not so keen on hanging out with this guy. I'm not so sure you're gonna like me tomorrow. You know, whatever. <laughs> and it's interesting that the sages say that Jacob is like his main virtue is truth that he's actually a very honest person he yes. hates lying which is ironic because people assume the opposite but the tradition well, is they do that with almost all holy men actually and we, we can do a separate are thing are we saying that he did lie what no, 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 well, that's he didn't lie. The sages actually argue, how, how is it that he's so they, they, they argue that he didn't lie? How, how could this not be a lie? Sounds like a lie. Yes. By the way, their answer is not where you're going, right? Kind of, but you can oh, think. Please. Well, in this oh, one, one of the things that he says is, you take, you go ahead, we'll take our time until I get to you and see you. And the sages go, he didn't go to see you. Like, what's up with that? Um, now, Jacob's not really lying, so may, how do you mess with this one right, or whatever right. else? And, well, my take on it, I don't know, so kind of, maybe the sages, I'm kind of paraphrasing them and kind of throwing in my own ideas, but it kind of reminds me of the passage that we read at the end of Obadiah when it talks about the saviors will ascend <laughs> Mount Seir. Right. And it's almost like Jacob's going, I'm going to go according to my pace very slowly and take about... 4,000 years right. <laughs> until I'm ready to really show up at Seir with the Messiah that's and then it's going to that's actually, that's actually the sages say that that's, that's, that's how he didn't lie that's how they get out of it he didn't yeah, lie he didn't because lie he's because going there and he's going to beat the living daylight and they say it happens in messianic right. and it's interesting that here he specifically says until I come to my lord at Seir which is weird because my lord literally is Adonai mm. so it's almost like you have this image also ties in a little at the end of Deuteronomy, because in Deuteronomy, when Moses does his like his big song, he says that that God dawned on them from Seir. Um, so that that same language shows up again there. So it's almost like it's almost like Jacob saying, "Until I'm ready to meet Messiah, now we're going to wipe you out. I'm going to take my time." <laughs> but when they finally get to that point, you know, we'll see you there. Then I'll see you there. <laughs> and I did. I ain't just sending angels, anybody. <laughs> yeah, I I think of Moses when I when I read this. Because Moses was told in no uncertain terms by God, Stay with mm-hmm. you are not going to go over into That's that reserved. land. Did God lie? Of course not. And yet, Moses was in the land. He was on the mountain with Yeshua. Remember? So he did get to be in the land. The same kind of thing. In Messianic days, he'll get there. Yes? That's cool. What he was saying, if you look back about the in the wrestling, it says, uh, two nations, however, are unique. Israel is God's own people, and just as Esau epitomizes evil, so his angel is prime is the prime spiritual force of evil, Satan himself. Yep. This battle was the eternal struggle between them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there we go. And it's gonna win in Messianic days. Bam! I have an interesting thing that I just read. Truly interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with it. 
donkeys. It doesn't have to do with women. Um, let's see. It's really. Let's see. When yes, when they meet finally. Yes. And Esau. Well, it's like they all bow. Everyone bowed. Oh yeah, Esau, yeah. And then Esau says, "Whence do you have that whole camp I met? Like, who are these people, basically?" And um, we look at the Hebrew. And that that exact Hebrew phrase happens three times in the Tanakh. Really? It happens here with this, once do you have the whole camp that I met. It happens, well, it's, it's once do you have. That's the phrase we're talking about. It happens in Isaiah where it says, And whom do you have here that you have hewn yourself a grave here? And then it happens in Genesis. Um, when the angels are leading Lot out, they say, "Who else do you have? Here? Who else do you have here? Whom do you have? Your son-in-law, son in law So um, they try to string all those together. In that, um, Esau meets Jacob here, and he says, um, "Well, this is right after the angels, because it's traditional that the angels that that Jacob sent were beating Esau's guys up, and they were killing them." Um, like just slaughtering them. They have a big thing about like how they would respond. And anyway, that that was how you work in the Isaiah passage because there's like the 400 guys he saw us going with. They're just like, all dead, hewn the graves and stuff. Uh-huh. So they're in graves. So that was the Isaiah passage. And then um, Esau, he he sees all Jacob's kids. So he says that one from Genesis. Um, and he says it because traditionally when Esau and Jacob are in the womb, Jacob says to Esau, there's, there's two, we're two brothers and there's two worlds, this world and the world to come. In this world, you can drink, you can have fun, you can get married and you can have kids. You can't do any of that in the world to come. So why don't you take this world, and I'll take the world to come? <laughs> so Esau's like, okay, in the womb. This is in the womb. So they do that, that little agreement in the womb. And then, years later, Esau comes up and he sees all these kids, and he's like, who do you have here? This quote from oh, Genesis. Yeah. How do you have all these kids? I thought we couldn't do that here. Yeah, isn't that... Like you're not supposed to reproduce, basically. Yeah, yeah. Because that's you're you're for the world to come. Right. So um, Jacob says that this is the the portion God has given me here in this world. So Esau's like, oh, this is the portion in this world. How much more is Jacob's portion going to be in the world to come? So why don't we go halvesies? <laughs> so that's why he says we could just we should join together. Let's yeah. go along together. Yeah. That was what he said. But then Jacob. Scrammed out. That's basically yeah, that's cool. Can't go halfsies with the wicked. Can't go with the wicked. Well, it's interesting about the not having children in this life. And you would ask, why do you have all these children? Why? Because the children are the way the promise comes to pass, right? So if he can get Jacob to, you know, just playing along with the midrash, mm-hmm. you know, if, we can, if you can get Jacob to to agree to have no kids, mm-hmm. then he stopped the plan of God. That's right. That's right. I love those intricate weavings that the sages do sometimes to bring home a point. You know, um, 
church fathers do the same thing. You know, some of your, your most favorite sermons are these intricate stories that you hear that, that help you to learn a theological truth or a, a truth of the Bible. So that's good stuff. So, But that one was, i got to admit, amazingly weird, but I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah. I said shaking the womb. They probably didn't shake the womb. <laughs> right. Well, they were shaking his foot. It's not nearly as weird if they didn't shake it. Yeah. Okay. So I think... Um, I beg your pardon, Jeremiah. I did not see that hand, sir. Yes, sir. Is it okay if we go to uh, verse 16? So a few, a few verses later. Sixteen. Is that on that day Asaph went back to Seir? Yes. Outstanding. That's exactly where I was, Jeremiah. Thank you. Please, sir. Okay. Well, there's an interesting commentary that goes along with that. In that, um, in the sage's eyes, what they include there, it says, on that day Esau went back to Seir, his usual hangout, parentheses, alone. And Rashi says, why did he go back alone? How do you say that? And the foreigner. Yeah, what happened to the 400 men? He right. has 400 yeah. men with them. He went to fight, and then all of a sudden they're just gone. And that ties back also to what you are saying earlier. He obviously was coming to fight here. And he says, well, the 400 men, they slipped away one by one. And so it's interesting commentary that's it's talking about that, going through that. Celtic what, mercenaries. Why, yeah. <laughs> why did they slip away? It's because they saw Jacob. And they saw that, or they saw that the angels that came to meet them, the angels come, and um, when the angels first come, they start getting into an argument with the soldiers. They start saying, you know, oh, who are these men? Strike them, strike them. And the men are like, oh, no, 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 no. And they say, we belong to Esau. And they say, well, we'll strike you down then. And they say, no, 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 leave us alone. Uh, our master is Yitzhak's son. The angels paid no attention. And then he says, we are, he is Abraham's grandson, and he, uh, said Esau's men. But the angels paid no attention still. Esau's men retorted, he is Yaakov's brother. And the angels said to them, if so, he is one of ours. <laughs> From this we see that Esau's men had become intimidated by the angels and were scared to fight Yaakov, which explains why they made a quick and subtle exit. <laughs> and that should explain that, why he goes home alone. So while he's talking to Jacob, the men are looking at this going, oh, he's got angels on his side. We're it looks like side. It's, it's a little bit peaceful right now, but we know Esau. We know Esau is going to want to fight eventually. Here. This is just a momentary thing. His heart hasn't truly changed. He's going to want to fight. So let's just kind of slip away so we don't die. Wait, he's offering uh, to let us stay with the angel dudes? No, 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 no. That's good. I, I can, that's good. Yo, look at the time. Gotta go. <laughs> that's good. I like that. Something minor. Just For me, <laughs> 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 and just listening to all the things that they had, and the things that they gave, and the things they exchanged, and the men, and to go back to the beginning, to where there was a bowl of porridge yeah. that this all started out of. That red, red stuff. When they <laughs> seemed to have had nothing, mm-hmm. and yet it was the source of strife. Mm-hmm. I mean, the birthright that came along with it. But to start from such a small, minor type of thing and to have grown to where they have such an abundance that they have so much to give, they can't live in the same place together. One brother says to the other, I've got plenty, I don't need yours. You know, let me give you my men. You know, it's it's yeah. an abundance that God blessed both of them with mm-hmm. to start in such a small place as, as the sons who fought over what seemed to be minor. Yeah. And we see a whole bunch of chiefs here at the end. 
There's a there's a big line. You skipped the story of Dennis. I'm no, I was just making reference, not skipping the Dina do. And all right, so chapter thirty-four, the fifth reading. Thank you, Dina. Dina, Dina. I need to write a song about that. You and I have been talking about Dina for two years, right? We have. But first, first. That's it. Who's she hanging out with? That's it, right there. I mean, she's she goes out because she wants to meet. Other girls she wants to go in the world. She wants to go look over the daughters of the world. That's always how it starts. Yeah. I just want to see it. Yeah, I just want to see I want to see what, what the other side lives like. I and mean, when we're doing this orthodox thing, we're separating meat and dairy, and you know, we've got Shabbat, and oi, you know, I just want to see how the other half lives. Big mistake. Well, it's interesting, they link her to her mother. Yes, they say that. Now, Leah, now talk about that. I think that was fascinating. Jacob, I didn't notice that last. Jacob goes and the and the whole story with the mandrakes and all of that interesting <laughs> stuff. There was love apples. Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, I need to pause, uh, Joshua, for just a minute. Last week, um, we were um, it wasn't a community Shabbat, and, and our family was sitting here um, before we we uh, spent some time over at uh, Gregory and Morgan's, and. Uh, we decided to, since there was nobody here, we would listen to you guys, to the portion discussion we did literally a year earlier, almost to the day, oh, wow. and it was the very first portion discussion we recorded, which was kind of comical in the front, in the beginning of it, um, but when we got to the Mandrakes thing, <laughs> it was it was absolutely hilarious, and you know we had finally gotten over the whole. Jasmine plants, and we had a big jasmine thing out in the back, and comments sure. about my family, and then Rick got involved, and the mandrake thing again. Yeah, and it's just we finally got all calm, and then Karen Gordon realized that her version had love apples instead of jasmine plants or mandrakes, and it just went all over again. But I gotta tell you. You guys had some really, really awesome comments that I had forgotten, and it was great to hear you. So getting back to the whole story, um, Leia trades um, the mandrakes for um, for Jacob, for the night with Jacob. And so it says that she goes out to meet him in the field. And it's the same language here with Dina and going out to see the daughters. And they so they say it's like daughter, like like mother, like daughter. Leah is chastised for this. They say that it was immodest for her to go out to Jacob like that when he was in the field to go and, you know, hey, you're with me tonight. And that was inappropriate of her to do that. And so in the same sense, her daughter ends up copying this behavior and going um, and going out to go see the daughters. And then it's interesting. I, there's an old phrase that's kicked around in the church, you know, this idea that sin will take you further than you want to go and then keep you longer than you ever wish to stay and, you know, that whole idea. And we kind of see the same thing with Dina here. Yeah. Dina goes out. She just kind of wants to put her foot in the water. She's not planning to do anything awful, but she just wanted to see what it was like. And then what happens? She gets caught. And this is so much true with us, too. We go out. We want to stick our foot in the water. We want to just kind of test things to see. I'm curious. And then you get caught by sin. And it's the same thing here. Sin takes you further. It, it captures you. It kidnaps you. It yes. holds you almost against your will. And you follow yourself into addictions or whatever else because I just wanted to see it. Yep. So it's the same thing here. So Dina 
we, we see both with the mother and the daughter thing, which is a challenge to us to be working in our own lives because the things that we do could potentially show up in our kids. And then also with... with as with as the, a dad, the, I can tell you, they don't potentially show up. They do show up. And then also Adina saying that we all need to be fighting against those little small things, the curious moments, because those can take us much further than we wanted to go. Yeah. Amen. Good. Very good. To play off of that same idea, I think that you can, the same can be said for Jacob because of how he... He's, he essentially used like a mitzvah in his deception in order to get the, the blessing and the birthright and all of that. And his sons do the exact same thing. They take the mitzvah of circumcision and use that against people. Good point. Good. Good parallel from the dad, then the sons. Good. Yes, sir. Although I like both those thoughts. I also mentioned... That means Rashi. semicolon, new paragraph, different direction. Yes. <laughs> Rashi attempts to do what many of the other sages do and making pretty all the patriarchs and their children appear more positive, regardless of their actions, because... Which is a mitzvah to do. It's, yeah, it's trying to find a positive right. thing. So he, Rashi makes a point that although what she did may have been wrong, she had the purest of motives. She desired and was seeking means to increase the number of tribes. Essentially, she wanted to bring Gentiles into the family of Israel. So that actually can have an interesting side effect of what side effect of, and um, side point of what you're saying, though. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe motives don't necessarily count for everything. Yeah. Well, it's like I mean I've heard the argument with from um, kids in public school who said, "I'm I, I'm going to public school to go be an evangelist." Yeah. To witness to the world. That's great, yeah. but but you realize the world's witnessing to you too. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, that same concept that you that you brought out from the sages is the positive side of what Joshua was talking about. The sages say that Leah would have been. I mean, she was firstborn, right? Isaac was secondborn, so she probably would have been. Jacob. Jacob was second. Isaac was second born. Isaac was second born. Right? And that since Leah was second born, that probably, uh, Leah was first born, that she probably would have been for Ishmael and Rachel would have been for Isaac. So that would have been the whole idea. Esau and Jacob, not Ishmael and Isaac. I'm on Ishmael and Isaac with Leah. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. but it's a generation yeah. off. Yeah. Rebecca yes. was Isaac's wife, not Rachel. Your generation off. It's the generation off. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're right. I'm a generation off. Okay, so Leah would have been for Esau, the eldest. Thank you. And Rachel would have been for Jacob. But Dina was for Esau as well. Right. Well, that's the point, right? That they were saying that Leah, being the outgoing one, going out, would be um, strongly causing tshuva to these people, and she would have been ideal for Esau to bring him to repentance. And like mother, like daughter, then Dina gets a buy because she's going out to bring them to repentance and all of that. Uh, you know, and it's, it's also why, why Leah had, was always crying. Right, because she's crying over repentance and shuva, you bet. Well, exactly. She's crying because she doesn't want to be stuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That too. That's exactly right. All right, go ahead. Yes, sir. Yeah, I want to go back to the circumcision. The, um, Wait a minute. We're going back to circumcision? Well, I didn't think we got to the circumcision yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now we're fast-forwarding to circumcision. I mentioned this as a side effect. Oh, uh, yeah. You mentioned it as a side effect because um, you mentioned um, using it. Yeah. Using it. Okay, good. And 
it's interesting. Oh yeah, it's using the mitzvah. It's interesting in this chapter. Um, I think Rick, you mentioned a long time ago that it's surprising that Paul didn't pick up on this in Galatians. Because the purpose for doing this mitzvah was to join the people of God. Yeah. And the side effect was destruction. And that is Paul's point in Galatia. The use of a mitzvah, having been born again and trusting in Messiah's finished work, is a good thing. The misuse, meaning you're trying to join God's people through, frankly, the Hagaric solution, something in the flesh, leads yes. to destruction. Right. Every time. Every time. And so that's what happened with these men. We're going to join the people of God in the flesh. You're dead. And Paul says it's a false gospel. If we think, anybody thinks, that something you do in the flesh can um, cause you to join the people of God. Earn your way into his family. Exactly. Good. Excellent. Yes, sir. Just kind of picking up on that, on the same idea. Uh, obviously, you know, the, obviously, the sons of Jacob used the mitzvah, you know, deceptively in that sense. But when you read through the when you read through the narrative, you know, uh, Hamor and Shechem, you know, are are kind of telling all the town, you know, all the men in the town, look, you know. They've got a lot of stuff. They got lots of cattle, lots of flocks. And they you know, got some arms. girls. And, and they've got and they've got good looking girls. And guess what? If we just do this one thing, yes. they're gonna they're gonna join us. They're gonna acquiesce. Yes. They're gonna join yeah. us, and we're gonna be one people. And we're gonna take their blessed. We're gonna take their stuff. Yes. It's gonna become ours. So they're using. Oh, wait, that's what happened. They're they're performing a mitzvah. Yeah. Yeah. In the second right. Uh, I mean, a mitzvah. In, in a sense, but they're doing it for all ulterior motives. Right, nothing right. to do with God. Right, right. right. Yeah. No hard circumcision. Exactly. It is unbelievable to me. This is the second time in this one portion where the response of the people is exactly opposite mine. Now, maybe I'm just a schmo, but just close your eyes for a second and think. You have wrestled with an angel, and he says, What do you want? What would you say? Go ahead. Tell me. What would you say? I want my mortgage paid off. That's what I want. That's basically what. Bless me. That is not what I would say. Is that what you would say? I mean, maybe you're more righteous than me. That's okay. How about these guys? Hey guys, if we just get circumcised, we get all the girls and all the stuff. I'd be looking at the angel. Are you nuts? What? There is no way. But the whole town went for it. Something's wrong with these people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought when you were going through that. Bless me. Um, the thought is this. I just realized this because Jacob, see, through Abraham, the gospel preached to Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So yes. Jacob is reaffirming the God of election and choosing his father Abraham through the seed, the nations of the earth will be blessed in Messiah by saying, Bless me. He's reaffirming the promise God made to his father okay. about being the savior of his people Israel. Okay. So in a way that is uh, that's a very righteous thing for that's him to do. That's a very righteous a worldly yeah. thing he's trying to get. He's saying, No be who you are, the promise keeping father of my father. Amen. I mean, like I said, it's yeah. not what I would have said. Yeah. yeah. But 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 you know, I'm not I'm not one of the patriarchs. I'm a patriarch, but not one of the patriarchs. Alright, any yes ma'am. I just noticed something. Okay. This is Jacob's third blessing, right? He gets blessed by Isaac when he takes Esau's birthright. He gets blessed by Isaac when he goes out to get a wife. Right. And then is that the is the only two and then this one here? That's three. That's big. I mean, I don't think Isaac got that any. 
If you already got two major blessings, would you ask for another one? Uh, <laughs> on the other hand, if you got two blessings, worked out real well, yeah. bless me. I like that. But your desire is to see God. You just What else would you ask for? Again, you know. Yes, sir. This is the antithesis of Pharaoh, not who kicks God's people out and says, "Bless me," which is the carnal response of men to when he sees worldly blessings. You obviously know God. I want everything your God gives you, but I don't want Him. Yeah. So when Jacob says, "Bless me," again, he's reaffirming who God is. He's still not being a promise-keeping God, and so. Um, that is the point. Do you define blessing the same way as having your sins forgiven in Messiah or by being your dispenser of temporal mercy? Oh, we see that's that idolatry. Uh, we see that with the, the magician. What's his name? Oh, yes. Magus? Simon. Simon? Simon Magus? Simon Magus? Magus? He was a maggot either way. <laughs> Simon, right? That's, he, he, he sees, wow, these guys can do miracles. Let me, let me have this power. That's right. No, that's right. All right. Is there a, a comment in the back? Uh, it's also a very Jewish thing to do. If you go to the Kotel, uh, if you're a prestigious, righteous man with followers, then you're going to be asked to bless a lot of people because the, the blessing and the prayer of a righteous person does avail much. So, so it, it's very Jewish thing as well. Hmm. Hmm. So you're implying that Jacob saw righteousness in this one with whom he wrestled. Mm-hmm. That also has some messianic overtones as well. I like that. I like isn't it true that he, I think he said, he would have thought when someone jumped on him in the middle of the night that it was Esau. Absolutely. Like at first. That's who I would have thought it was. I've heard that. Yeah. I'd be wrestling all night just to win. I know you want that blessing back. It ain't going to happen. No, I'm not going to look up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. It would have been over pretty quick. Yeah. Because he saw the point. Because Esau is, Esau is going to overpower Jacob. Yeah. So the fact that he he wasn't he was he was actually contending with him. He had to know this is not a normal person. Uh, Jacob did move the. Did move the to be uh, fair, to be fair, Jacob has yeah. been spending time with Laban. Potentially, he's been getting you know the work. He's a little rights, off now. Jacob yeah. is ready to go now. But actually, as you know, your brother just said when he shows up at the well. He moves the stone all by himself, yeah. which that was adrenaline. There was a pretty girl standing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 adrenaline. more thing for for, for uh, our patriarch Jacob. He's what like eighty something when he wrestles all night long. <laughs> well, this this whole this uh, I mean the AIDS thing I have trouble with in the in, in the Tanakh in the Torah especially. Like, you're midlife and you're wrestling all night long. Well, it, it, it could be wrestling. <laughs> okay. It's just a lot, it's a lot of awkward silence. And that's on the teacher. Yes, ma'am. One thing. Yes. When they listed yes. Esau's son, every son, every one of them was given the title of chief. That implies they were warriors, not just, I mean, warriors, leader warriors. Yeah. Chieftain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm thinking like Nordic warriors with. That's um, how I would see it. But is that the same phrase that uh, we see of the sons of Jacob later with the the heads of this tribe, the heads of that tribe? Is it the same word? And we just changed it to chief for these dudes. I think it actually says the head, like the roach. The roach. Okay. So what's this word here for chief? Oh my. 
While you're finding that, what should have happened to Mr. Shechem? Uh, what should have happened to Dina? Stone. Actually, she, Dina was good. She, it, may have, it was probably in a field. Really? I thought it was in a I don't think so. Like a uh, it seems to have not happened in town. The men were in the field. She was not. Really? Let's take a look at the text. Dina, Leah's daughter, chapter 34, whom she had born to Yaakov, went out to observe the daughters of the land. Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Chivite, prince of the land, saw her. He took her lay with her and violated her. It doesn't say whether they're in field or in the city. But it doesn't say it's um, consensual. The, the well, we know it's not consensual. Now, what does the Torah say for the girl? If she consented, she was in sand. If she's consented, that's different. If, she, if it's not consented, she, there's two choices. If she cried out, she should be crying out, right? right? So if she cries out, all bets are off, she's okay. If she's if she's in the city, right. in the field, no one would have heard her. If she was in the city, someone would have heard her, therefore she didn't cry out. Right? So if she's in the field, she's okay. If she's in the city, what happens to her? She's stoned. What happens to the guy, regardless? He's stoned. Stoned. Not true. No. There is one I beg your pardon? There is one exception. If she's single... With no attachment to anybody. Oh, he's got to. He's got to. He's got to marry her, or he's got to pay a ransom price. price. In this case, this was okay. So okay, it says in chapter seven that Jacob's sons arrived from the field, saying she couldn't have been in the field because they were already there. Well, it could have been two different fields. The the tradition holds that Dina was in the city and she did cry out, but because the city was. I saw the movie. She was in the city. And and, and the city is an evil city, so nobody cared. They're like, oh, the prince has got a girl again, whatever. Right. Right. Okay. (laughs) So I can see it. They say that Shem, by the way, was the most honorable of his father's household. That's right. What does that say about his father's household? Right. I mean, I mean, let's think about it. He's got a twisted view of love. He's got a twisted view of love. Yeah. If he's well, the most honorable, there must be all kinds of nastiness going on I in this town. He appealed to her emotions. Yeah, oh there's God. a there's <laughs> there's a shocker. He appealed to her emotions. Um, we can try and figure out Torah wise what should happen. But I don't think that's our purpose. I didn't read any sages trying to figure that out. I think that's the red herring, trying to figure out what should have happened. These guys did this. What should they have done? What should have happened? I don't think that's the point. I think the point is, as Alex brought it out in the beginning, what's she doing there? Syncretism. That's the problem. If we're going to mix with the world, we're going to have issues, and it's a nightmare to figure out how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It is. Especially when there's sex involved. It's as simple as that. And, and you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we all know of people, it maybe in our own homes, in our own families, where we've had issues, where we've been involved with the world in some way, whether it be sports or music or... Give me something else. What else we got? Wood chopping, whatever it may be, you know? And our kids are involved, and all of a sudden, we're having to deal with stuff, issues, life that I don't think God ever intended that we'd be a part of. Right? There's a big difference between, between being salt and light. 
in a wicked and corrupt generation. Mm-hmm. And actually trying to do whatever we can to be a part of the wicked and corrupt generation. Right. Right? Okay. Other comments on Dina or the... Was she like Lot's wife in that way? Okay. Godly family, but what does that mean? Yeah, she perished because she was still hungry for Saddam. Yeah, and and you have to wonder how godly a family it was if the the father and I'm not trying to diss the guy, but the father was seen as jesting by his sons-in-law, yes. and the wife turns around and wants what she's leaving. So wow, bad, bad, uh, bad deal. Yes. The counsel for us today is to remember Lot's wife. Yep. And, yep. and the master said he sets his hand to the plow and looks back there's not sufficient. Amen. This is the last that we read of Dina. I was just going to say does anybody know what we get here as far as children is there a line here? Well possibly uh, possibly through Joseph later. There's a there's a tradition that that there is a daughter born of this. Hmm. Wow. And that she's uh, ends up being uh, the gal with the with the long name that starts with A. Honestly, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. But that yeah, of course, the other tradition is that she comes from Potiphar. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Other comments? There's been a lot of speculation on her life. Well, yeah, I mean... If you read the red tent, which I don't recommend, that's well, the you just put that on the sun. Yeah, okay, so she did not recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did want to point out something about the... Somebody just said something about... I don't want to just the guy. Who were you talking about? Uh, I was Locked, talking right? about Lute. Lute and Lute's Right, and wife. he said, his, you know, his wife looks back, his family thinks he's joking, but then if you look in the very first part of chapter 35, Jeff's thinking we were up to now. I'm on uh, chapter 35 and verse That's 1. That's what I'm on. Yes, indeed. So if you look into that, I was, I was pointing out to moms that um, for some reason, Jacob has to tell his whole family to get rid of their foreign gods. Oh, uh, yes. What is yeah. that? Yeah. This well, is Jacob's house. Did you say they just plundered Shechem? And they got that stuff. Perhaps. But yeah, why did they take those? Whatever. I mean, you think it's like, what does it mean? I think it's gold. And I don't think so. It sounds sounds much more to me like what Moses is telling the children of Israel that are on, you know, like, get ready to see God. Yeah. So take take your shower, change your clothes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds to me like they had them. And he's saying, get rid of those things now. We're going, it's a new leaf. Well, we certainly see the whole Rachel saddlebag, Laban's right. idols. See, it's been, it's been festering, festering in this family for who knows how long. Okay, so He has allowed that to happen. So I'm hearing that in your home, it won't be that careful, way. Is that, is that what I'm very, hearing? Very, very sacred ground. Is that what I'm hearing? I am not it's, saying It's just not going to be. I we're going to try to avoid the I'm idols. No, okay. We're not burying them in any trees. Negative numbers on the idols here if you're visiting. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also kind of funny that they say they take the rings out of their ears. Yeah, I noticed that too. Because if you think about, to go back to Sinai again, yeah. with an idols, right. what, they make the golden calf out of what? The golden rings out of their ears. Yeah. So it's like Jacob's like, oh, and by the way, Let's also make sure you're not going to make any more, too. There we go. Okay, we're good with that. Uh, I like that. Let's get rid of the material as well. Yeah, okay. Or at least maybe there seems to be some idolatrous links there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, ladies, did you hear that? There's no. idolatrous links in your ear. There are. Well, I'm Just picking up on this notion of the idols. One, one thought that came to me, he says, verse in 35 to 2, 
Jacob said to his household, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, that that means all of his servants, everybody, everybody. Yeah. Right? right? Where did his servants come from? They came from Padanaram. Padanaram. Mm-hmm. So point. his servants, his maid servants, his men servants, could have very likely. I mean, they were from a a culture that was an idol worshiping culture, so they could have had them with on their persons as well. So it's not so not so much about his twelve sons and his wives, although you know the Rachel thing notwithstanding, mm-hmm. it could have been more to all of these servants that had come out of Padanaram with him from this culture that may have very well had their own little you know idols in. He said, "Look." We're about to go up to Beitel, and we there can't be any of that stuff. In the what do you what do you think the impetus is? Why does this dad finally stand up and or head of his household, and not only potentially address his sons and his daughter, but then also the whole household? What, what's that? What's that all about? His walk has changed. Mm-hmm. It's a different guy. He's different. Mm-hmm. He was willing to let that kind of stuff slide when he was in Badanaram. Now he's back in the land, and, it, and he's just had this experience. His halakha, as it pertains to this particular issue, as well as many other issues, has changed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Good. Also, the yes. place that he's going. Exactly. Because God right. tells him to go to Beth El. Right. So. Good. Good. Yeah. We're going up to the house of God. Let's think about it. Hmm. Ramallah. You could also say that. Yeah, yeah. Go to Ramallah. You could also say this in relationship to the, the children of Israel as they came out of uh, the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt and they were all at the base of the mountain, and and he's proclaiming one decree for everyone, whether you're part of the family or you've attached yourself in some way to the family. Uh, oh, I like it, Johnny. It's, it's, I like it's it. Very, one rule. For one everybody. rule for everybody. Doesn't matter how you came in, whose you are. Um, I did notice, by the way, I didn't want to let this pass, but uh, in uh, the previous chapter, verse. 26. You don't need to turn. Don't bother. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with a sword. They took Dina out of Shechem's house and left. I'm just wondering why she was there. But, hey. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, probably a being held against your girl napping. We have to assume it's that for the sake of her reputation. But after she was violated, Shechem's not there. He's negotiating... So. Yeah, but it was three years later. I mean, they had gotten circumcised. Maybe they just he just went ahead and took her. The question was why she was still there. Yeah. That was part of the deal. She was yeah, she was there because they were yeah. yeah, okay. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, All right. that all makes sense. Yes. Are you next? You got you. I got you. So you're next and you. Yes. And we're finishing up. Okay, so we're in chapter 35. Jacob arrives at Bethel, which is where he stopped on the way when he was leaving the land. Now he's, uh, he comes back. He's coming back. Uh, and verse 10, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer uh, be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. Um, And so he basically repeats this whole thing of the name change, right, and reiterates the blessing and the promise of the descendants. Uh, So uh, 
So first, the first thing I want to pick up on is uh, in verse 11, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, the word in the Hebrew there is a goy, and a company, which in the Hebrew is is vekechal, uh, which like a congregation. Right. Um, uh, uh, of nations goyim. So he's saying, I'm going to make you a nation, and I'm going to make you a company of nations, right? There's been a lot of discussion and lots of controversy over this particular phrase, but right. uh, I was just talking with Rick about this during the Oneg, and um, I believe that that word, that the word for goy there, if we look in the Septuagint, is ethnos. So, uh, from where we would get ethnic or ethnicity, so mm-hmm. what he's saying is, he's saying an ethnicity or an ethnos and a congregation of ethnicities I'm going to make from you. Mm-hmm. How can that be possible? I mean, he is a son of Abraham, so any of his descendants are going to be one ethnicity, are they right. not? So how can that? How can how can a how can a congregation of ethnicities come from Jacob? The seed. So this, in 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 my view, this is a picture of uh, this whole concept again, because it's in the context of the name change to Israel. It's this whole idea of those who uh, those from other goyim, right? Those from other ethnicities who attach themselves to you, to your ethnicity, are. Your, are your seed. They're all the house of Jacob. And we see Paul pick up on that, you know, you, you know becoming sons of Abraham, right. that whole, you know, the whole adoption metaphor and, and, and all that. Only the Messiah. So, so, this is a picture, in my opinion, of of the the, the, the ethnicity and a nation from Abraham and multiple nations or ethnicities are you and I who have been joined, joined in. And, and been joined in. That's the only way that is possible. It's not physically possible any other way. That's right. Yeah. So, Good. Yeah, we maintain our ethnic identity. Right. Otherwise, there wouldn't be, be a, company a, a, a company of nations. It would be just all one But this is in, But this is in contrast to what we just witnessed, where uh, we could become one people by by going through a a a, uh, a circumcision act, we'll all just be one big people. So uh, if you'll just let all your sons and and if all your men just come do this, then we'll be one people. That doesn't work. Well, it doesn't it doesn't work because the Hivites were not becoming; they were not taking on the characteristic that's Israel right. exactly. So so it, so in the in in a midrashic way, we have the contrast being presented here. Here's man's way as Shechem. That that doesn't work. No. Here's God's way, and His promise to Jacob is God's way is that the nations actually can be part of the family, but only my way. Right. That's the way. That's the truth. The second point in the same passage that I want to pick up on is in verse 14. After this exchange with God, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where He had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. Hebrew word there is Evan. Okay. Uh, and he poured out a drink offering on it. Uh, he also poured oil on it. Okay, so uh, 
lot of messianic uh, uh, allusions here. The, the stone being a picture of Messiah, the word Evan uh, being, uh, uh, being a con being a contraction of two Hebrew words because Evan is spelled Aleph. Uh, Aleph uh, Beit means the feet. Uh, so you have uh, Aleph Vet Av Father. Uh, ben Nun Ben. So the Evan is this has this kind of idea of father son. You know, and he sets up the Evan, and then he anoints it with oil because the Evan is the anoint is, is a picture of the anointed one. And he pours out a drink offering. We don't know if it was a water libation or a wine libation. Either one of them have plenty of messianic connotation. Though. So preferably water though. But the point here is, especially on the Temple Mount, then we got the whole Sukkot thing. Oh, yeah. 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 Since, they, since he did have to all travel to Sukkot, this is this is yeah, this is it. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that verse fourteen is wine, a wine picture looks like of Mashiach. Blood. What's that? Wine looks like blood. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. This, this is the only portion I'm aware of where Basra is actually mentioned. Yeah. And you've got that reference to Messiah, Isaiah, uh, where he's who's this man showing up from Basra with his so clothes, garments stained, splattered with, yeah, blood. splattered with yeah. blood, or I mean, based on my white shirts most of the time, could be wine. I, you know, same thing. <laughs> All right, I was looking while you were talking. By the way, thank you. Very, very nice. Um, I, I couldn't find where. I saw that the sages asked a question at some point here, and I can't see where they're asking it. Um, the question was, where's Dina? She's hidden in a chest. Yeah, where is that? I, I read all about oh, the no, chest, which was really clear. Cool. Oh, he is says it? he brings his 11 sons across the river. Yeah, oh, that's where it was. So, yeah. He says he brings his 11 children. He says there's but, 12 There's children. 12, because you've yeah. got 11 sons plus Dina. Dina was so, supposed to go to Esau, so he had her hidden away. Got it, okay. So, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that's that's cool. Forget the chest. <laughs> Of course, Benjamin What's, was in utero. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Bow. Yeah, th that's right. And we, we yeah. should we should close on that one. If that's you want to do that, we'll close on that. But the whole idea is to is to see the things that are missing, right? We we see some of the greatest truths about Messiah in the spaces. How come he brought his eleven children over and there's no mention of Dina? It's it's the same kind of thing. Quick from you. Then he's going to give us the. They didn't bend, they didn't burn, they didn't bow. Yeah. Okay. So, reading through this. Oh, that's, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? It right. works. That's right. In 36 6, there's a very interesting thing that's going on. 36? 36, uh, verse 6. A very interesting thing going on that Esau and Jacob separate from each other. Their people separate from their, their descendants. You have different parts of the area surrounding the land of Israel. Just can't handle it. And. Well, I was reading this, I go, this sounds familiar. And one thing that's very common in Hebrew literature is that they'll use either the exact same phrase or similar phrases to draw connections to prove a point. We call that. So I'm reading this going, Romance. this sounds a lot like Abraham and Lot. Exactly. And so I went back and looked, and I'm not sure it's the same phrase, but I would be very interested to see if it is in Hebrew. But um, in verse 13 of Genesis, uh, sorry, chapter 13, verse 8, um, they, actually, sorry, verse 5, Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and cattle and tents. The pasture of the land was insufficient for them to live together, for they possessed many cattle that needed graves. So they failed to live together. Then in 36.6, 6, 
Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, all the people of his household, his flocks, all his animals, and all his property they acquired in the land of Canaan. And he went to find other land due to his brother Yaakov, because their possessions were too numerous for them to dwell together. The lambs they inhabited could not support them because there was not enough space for their flocks to graze. Same deal. So Esau settled in Mount Seir. So the interesting thing I found out is what's going on when Lot separates from Abraham. Lot goes, he looks around the land and goes, oh hey, Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes down to the nations. He goes down and joins those who he shouldn't be joining. He's, he's saying, I don't want to be part of the promise. Yeah. I want to be part of the nations. Okay. And the same way here, Esau is doing the same thing. He leaves the land of Israel, because they're currently in the land of Israel when they're having this whole discussion and things like that. Esau leaves the land of Israel because he says, I don't want to be part of the promise. Whatever reason, whether it's because of birthright or whatever, Esau doesn't want to be part of the promise. So he leaves the land of Israel and he goes down to Mount Seir. He wants to be part of the nations. I like it. I like it. Good parallel. That's some serious midrash. It's got to be really short. It's a really short. Good. This was. I. I it was kind of cool because I was looking in on the Blue Letter Bible, and there's a Hebrew word in this portion, and it's only used once in the entire Tanakh, and it's the one the word for terror in 35:5, where it says they set out, and there fell a godly terror oh, yeah. on the cities mm-hmm. which were around them, mm-hmm. and the, the word for terror there's only used once, and I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. What is it? Hamas. It's. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Be a God. All right, so I'm going to tee it up. Well, We're talking about bowing real quick well, and I, end with Mordecai. I, I, actually, I, I, I want to go in a little bit different direction. Okay. Right. So back, verse 16, chapter 35, after this whole anointing and the stone and all that, He's still on the stone. Then they traveled from Bethel, and while they were still some distance to go before arriving at Esrach, uh, uh, Rachel went into labor, and she had great difficulty with it. While she was undergoing this hard labor, the midwife said to her, Don't worry, this is also a son for you, but she died in childbirth. As she was dying, she named the son Ben-Oni, son of my suffering, son of my grief. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. <clears throat> so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrat, that is Bethlehem. For, for those of you, if I could just jump in real quick, if you're not familiar with the Hebrew, are you familiar with the, the traditional Christmas story where the quote is made, O you Bethlehem, Ephrat, that's, that's the same word, that's where it comes from, it's the region. Um, Yaakov set up a standing stone on her grave. It is, stand, it is a standing stone of Rachel's grave to this day. Okay, so let me pause there. The whole Rachel giving birth in Bethlehem to uh, the son of suffering, who is also the son of the right hand, right? So that's all we know that's Messiah. That has nothing to do with Yeshua. Holy cow. <laughs> so now. That's just circumstantial and it's, exactly. it's real. Right. Coincidence. Verse 21. Israel continued his travels and pitched his tent on the other side of Migdal Adair. Okay. It was while Israel was living in that land that Raven went out. Okay, so that verse 21, Migdal Adair, okay, which um, there's an interesting uh, verse also in Micah, okay, um, and a Migdal Adair means 
Tower of the Flock. And this is, uh, as I understand it, Migdaladere is just uh, just outside of Bethlehem, you know. Um, Your shepherds have been watching their fields by night. Exactly. exactly. So yes. you have you have in, in Micah chapter four, uh, verse eight. As for you, Migdal Adair. So this same place, hill of the daughter of Zion. To you it will come. Even the former dominion will come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry out loudly? Is there no king among you, or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe and labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. Uh, and, and it goes on. But there's this this prophecy about Migdal Adair, this, which means Tower of the Flock, which is where, uh, right outside Bethlehem, where Rachel dies, you know, in childbirth. What is she bringing forth? Okay, from a, from a from a midrashic level, she's bringing forth the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, when we go to the account in Luke to pick up on what Joshua just said, we see that the angels appear to the shepherds watching the flock by night to tell them that the that that uh, you know the good news and the glad tidings, right? Well, why did the angels appear to the shepherds? I mean, why not appear to the priest? Why not appear to the plumber? Why not appear to, you know, the police officer? To the physician? Why, anybody that starts with Why, the, yeah, why right? are they appearing to the shepherds? There's only one group at the watchtower of the Right. So this particular group of shepherds are in Migdal Adair watching over a particularly unique group of sheep. So these shepherds are not just any old shepherd. These shepherds are tasked with watching the temple flock. Those are the lambs and the sheep that are used in the temple service. They're on the hills of Migdaladair, right outside Bethlehem. And that's what their job is, to protect and watch over the temple sheep. So now it makes a lot more sense. Who, who else would you appear to? To announce that the Lamb of God has been born, than wow. to the shepherds who are tasked with the very uh, job of watching over Amen. the lambs that are used in the temple, that are the, and, and the lambs are there in Megdaladair, you know, and so all those little details, they all connect the dots. If you're uh, if you showed up in Jerusalem with your lamb. Oftentimes, because the priesthood was corrupt, they wouldn't let you use your lamb. You had to buy their <coughs> lamb so that it had already been prepped, checked, and it was guaranteed kosher. Where do you think they kept all those lambs? And where do you think they raised them all? Right there on those on those hillsides. And yes. in one little thing, like, ironic, funny thing, Rachel means lamb. Rachel means lamb. That really? It's a word for you. Mm-hmm. That's... That is a funny little point there, isn't it? That's well, that that's cool. Isn't funny? All right. Well, it's only been nearly an hour and a half, so uh, two and a half hours actually. Don't you uh, don't you marvel now as we as we look at the word and see uh, some magnificent truths uh, from the sages, from the church fathers, from. Uh, from the scriptures, how easy it is to be among like-minded believers that desire to
to see those little nuances, those cool things. What a blessing. <coughs> Speaking of blessing... Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, for He has taken note of His people and sent them redemption, causing the horn of salvation to flourish for us in the house of His servant David, as He spoke through His holy prophets who were from long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, showing devotion to our fathers and remembering His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to allow us to serve Him without fear with honesty and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. Your deeds are great and fearsome, O Lord, God of legions. Your ways are righteous and true, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and give honor to your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations will come and bow before you. For your righteous judgments have been revealed. Blessed are you, O Lord, who has redeemed Israel. Amen. Thank you, folks.